Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. We are grateful for your um, ability to be with us for this episode as we continue our study uh, in terms of the Book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. Uh, We've been going through this series dealing with the Book of Romans, a survey of the Book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. And on today's episode, we wanted to continue with chapter 6. And in this chapter, Paul uh, continues his message broadcasting the ideal of righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous according to the scripture? Not righteousness based on your own ideologies, not righteousness based on uh, what you may have learned outside in the streets, not righteousness based on Uh, the religiosity of church tradition, but righteousness based on scripture. So Paul is challenging his audience about this false ideology, this false theology that some within the church had adopted. Uh, He's basically saying that it's uh, wrongly deduced or it's wrong to think of righteousness in this way, where individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are, in essence, premeditating what they're going to do with this idea that God, who is a forgiving God, will forgive them. Even though they know it's wrong, they're going to do it anyway because they know God is a God of forgiveness. So how do we reconcile that? Uh, Is it okay to sit down and uh, do something that's wrong and you know it's wrong, but yet you dare tempt God because you claim God is a God of forgiveness? And Paul is saying, no, heaven forbid, that cannot happen. That should not happen. God, number one, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing, and God is not to be played with. We often hear individuals within the church say, well, the Lord knows my heart. And he does. And God also knows when you're trying to be deceptive. God also knows when you're not doing your best. God also knows when we have ulterior motives. So when we make that statement, it is very true, but it should lead us to accountability. Because God knows everything, when we go to God, let's not approach him as though there's something within our heart that we can keep away from him. No, God sees our heart. God sees through our heart. God sees the beginning from the end. And he knows when we're not being genuine. So we as Christians should never be found premeditating something that God has forbidden or God has, has condemned. 
We have to be honest with God. So that means that our walk have to be honest. Our talk have to be honest. Our dealings have to be honest. Our prayers have to be honest. So we have to be honest with God. We have to be truthful with God. And as a Christian, we should flee from sin, not sit down and spend our time trying to figure out how we can do something that we know God has valued or, or categorized as wrong. So he, Paul uh, emphatically condemns this false interpretation of the scriptures. Righteousness uh, should never lead us to sinful behavior or sinful habits. Paul uh, continues to say that if we are dead to sin, then we should not be living in it. He implements this illustration of death and life to further argue his point. Due to what Christ did on the cross, this is what Paul is saying, the stronghold of sin has been put to death. Has been put to death. There, uh, the stronghold of sin uh, is uh, void of power over us. Baptism was a ceremonial example that we have gone down into the water as sinners, but yet we raise up in the newness of light, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 6. In regards to the sanctification of believers, uh, author Robert Gundry stated that should believers sin in order that God may exercise his grace all the more and thus gain more praise for himself? No, Mr. Gundry says. Baptism illustrates death to sin and coming alive to righteousness. This kind of sanctification does not consist in self-generated attempts to keep the Old Testament law, which can give only a sense of defeat or in any human ability to surmount the demonic control of sin over human conduct. Rather, the Spirit of Christ gives overwhelming power. This is Robert Gundry. So Paul continues to uh, use his illustration concerning death, concerning life, and even concerning uh, burial and resurrection. So in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 6, we witness the following as we read the book of Romans. Number one, Paul says we have been united together in the likeness of his death. And that's what connects us as Christians. We are connected by the, uh, the crucifixion. We are connected by what happened on the cross. All of us as Christians are bonded by the same testimony uh, of what happened on the cross. We are beneficiaries of the blessings of the cross. Uh, The cross unites us all. How? The main way the cross unites us is that we receive or are receiving residual benefits dealing with power from the cross. What happened 2,000 plus years ago is still affecting us today in the sense that that same power which raised up Jesus from the dead, is th- we have access to that same power today. That same power that rose up Jesus can, uh, give, uh, 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 is powerful enough to raise us from our addictions. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to keep married couples from divorcing. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to end racism. The same power 
that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to cause the prodigal to come back home. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to keep us financially disciplined. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to bolster our self-esteem and self-identity. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to keep us disciplined in our sexual affections. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to cause us to become metapolitical where we're not uh, grouped to the left and we're not grouped to the right, but we're free to uh, say this is right and this is wrong. The same power that raised up Jesus is powerful enough to, uh, to live in holiness. So the cross is a vital and important aspect of our Christian identity. So that's the first thing Paul is trying to say in verses 5 through 11. Then the second thing is Paul is saying we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We should be in the likeness of his resurrection. So the resurrection is a pivotal moment in Christianity. The resurrection is the hallmark of Christianity. It, it, it shines brightly in the story of Christianity. And the resurrection is what we ought to consider, not just on Easter Sundays, but we ought to consider it every day. Why did Jesus die for us? That's the question we ought, we ought to ask. And how does that death benefit me today? Is, does it cause me to change my lifestyle? Is it causing me to uh, consider walking in holiness? Is it causing me, we're talking about the resurrection, when we think about it, does it cause us to uh, live more circumspect for Jesus? That's what it should do. So, the resurrection, if you think about it, uh, when we take communion, when we take the Lord's Supper, this is what Jesus uh, commanded us to do, is to uh, uh, perform this ritual as often as we can. And the core of the ritual is the death, burial, and resurrection. So we should always think about the resurrection. Then the third thing Paul says uh, we need to look at in verse 5 through 11 of chapter 6 of Romans He says, our old nature has been crucified with him, meaning our old nature uh, also has has succumbed to the power of the Holy Spirit. Our old nature uh, wasn't eradicated. All of us still have the old nature in us, as I said before in the uh, previous episode. When Jesus saved you, your old nature was not eradicated. Your old nature is still there. And Paul tells us in Romans that they're warring against one another. So whoever has control of you dictates how you perform. So if you are feeding the new man, the new woman, if you're feeding your new nature, controlled by the Holy Spirit, then that's who has control over you. And we are able to walk in holiness. Other people are able to see us changing. But conversely, if we're not doing what we ought to be doing in terms of um, living holy, in terms of uh, reading the Bible, in terms of praying, in terms of studying, in terms of worship. If, if we're not doing those things, then we're leaving the door open for the old nature to continue growing and crippling our effectiveness for Jesus. I hope that makes sense. The old nature was not eradicated. 
The old nature is still there. But if we want to uh, live beyond our old nature and live uh, in a holy way, there are things that we have to do. There are things uh, that God has put in our hands that we have to perform. Uh, and doing it will keep the old, old nature under control. Uh, <laughs> the power of the Holy Spirit will suppress the old nature. So it's important that we do what we are called to do as Christians so the world and those close to us never have to see the old nature. Uh, this is why some people that attend church, um, you see them going off sometimes. This is why uh, you, you see uh, those that profess to be Christians um, maybe constantly losing their temper or unwilling to forgive and uh, causing strife and chaos within the church. Well, the old nature is still there. And if we want to be like Christ, if we want to be, uh, uh, if we want to conform to the image of Jesus, we have to make sure we are keep feeding our soul uh, the things that need to, that we need to feed, uh, that, that make the soul uh, alive and, 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 and activate in righteousness. So this is very important. Feed your soul the right thing, and that's prayer. That's through spiritual meditation on the scriptures. Uh, that's to, uh, through fellowship. That's through Bible study. That's through uh, reading of the Bible. Uh, there's a difference. That's uh, through worship service. That's through koinonia fellowshipping. So all of that is part of our spiritual growth. Then Paul says, uh, those who are dead to sin have been free from sin. Self-explanatory. We that uh, have been engaged in what I just talked about previously, we're engaged in the uh, Bible retreats, we're engaged in the worship services, we're engaged in Bible study, we're engaged in reading of the word, we're engaged in evangelism, we're engaged in discipleship, we're engaged in seeking God's face every day, we are engaged in um, allowing and, and being obedient to the precepts of God's word. As we do these things, we gain power, thus uh, putting the old nature in a, in a, in a uh, stranglehold so uh, he or she never rise up again. But we have to do it daily. Every day, you must pray. Every day, you must read the word of God. Every day, you must study the word of God. Every day, you must put into practice the principles. Every day, you must put into practice the instructions. Every day, you must put into the uh, practice the commandments of God. So these uh, things are very important. Then lastly, in this passage or this section, Paul says, if we die with Christ, we should also live with him. According to Paul, just like Jesus overcame the sin of death, believers are alive and dead to sin. So in the same power that rose up Jesus from the dead, it is the same power that can help believers subdue their sinful nature. Paul informs the church of of, uh, Philippi to not let sin reign. Again, a unique play on words. Many of us, uh, many of us use the word reign when referring to someone ruling a group of people like a country. However, in this context, Paul is using the same word to apply to sin. Sin rules the lives of those who have not surrendered 
to Christ. That is something that uh, we must keep in mind, that sin rules the lives of those who have not surrendered to Christ. But those of us who have surrendered to Christ, we see how um, our obedience ushers in more of the power of God so we can do what we need to do in terms of living for him. Paul continues his admonition by further unpacking his thesis in verse 12. He said, do not let sin reign in your body. If you will obey, if not, you will obey the lust of the flesh. So there's so many issues within the church in in terms of uh, sexual discipline. Uh, And if we as Christians would uh, trust God enough to work on our sexual addictions, those things that are not befitting of Christians, those things that God has warned us about, then we can have the liberty to worship him the way that we need to worship him. Uh, There's no way that we as believers can worship God freely if we have an ongoing sin that we're not dealing with. So, Paul is urging and admonishing and encouraging his audience to live in sexual purity, whatever that may be. Whatever your sexual addictions are, Paul is encouraging you to turn it over to Jesus. If you need to go see a psychologist, then do so. If you need to go see a psychotherapist, then do so. If you need to go talk to your pastor, then do so. But we should never become comfortable in the Uh, in in the sin, and not seek any help. Then the second thing Paul addresses in verse 12, he said, do not present your members as instrument of righteousness to sin. So our members dealing with our bodies. Again, if there's things that you are doing and you are thinking and and it is hindering your closeness to God, and you may not even think that it's hindering your closeness to God, but if you have any sexual uh, uh, impurities that you're dealing with, then trust me, uh, it's not bringing you any closer to God. It's actually pulling you further away from God because the devil will make sure that he uses uh, those embarrassing things uh, uh, to hinder your walk with Jesus. The next thing that Paul talks about is presenting yourself to God as being alive from the dead. Present yourself to God as being alive from the, from the dead. And it's this whole imagery, this Old Testament imagery of giving God an acceptable sacrifice. And in the New Testament, we are the acceptable sacrifice. So we can't, in the Old Testament, bring God a tainted sacrifice, an impure sacrifice. Uh, he wouldn't accept it. In the same way, when we continue to... Uh, not deal with the sins in our lives, then we are offering God a tainted sacrifice. When we refuse to forgive other people, we're offering God a tainted sacrifice. When we uh, refuse to uh, live in holiness, then we are offering God a tainted sacrifice. When we refuse to get into ministry, we offer God a tainted sacrifice. When we don't, when we don't seek God's face through prayer, we offer him a tent of sacrifice. So in the New Testament, we are the sacrifice. We offer all of our members, or we ought to offer all of our members to God, meaning your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, your will, uh, 
physical as well as metaphysical. We offer everything to Jesus. Then lastly in this section, Paul says, sin should not have dominion over you. You are under grace, not the law. Sin should not have dominion over you. So what Paul is saying is that the way that the law was being interpreted in the first century uh, didn't bring about forgiveness. It didn't bring about reconciliation with God the Father. Uh, the whole concept of righteousness being produced from a list of works was not what God had in mind. And so uh, they, they basically forgot the spirit of the law. Uh, they had the law, but they forgot the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law refers to God's will towards the law. They were saying the same words, but the words had different meaning. When I say they, I'm talking about the religious leaders of the first century. And this is why the people were being misled. Um, for example, Jesus talked about the Sabbath. When Jesus performed acts on the Sabbath, they were upset with him. So Jesus' response was, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he also said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, <laughs> meaning that uh, doing good works or uh, doing righteous acts, uh, number one, uh, is not determined by what day it is. Every day should be holy, not just a Sabbath day, but every day should be holy. And that's what Jesus was trying to convey is that holiness should not be limited to just one particular day. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then in Hebrews chapter 4, the whole chapter talks about how uh, Jesus, uh, the, 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 the whole fullness and understanding of what the Sabbath is, is fulfilled in Jesus completely, completely. So if you want to worship God on Saturday, go ahead and do so. If you want to worship God on Sunday, go ahead and do so. If you want to do it month, Monday through Friday, go ahead and do so. Our worship is not limited by a, a specific day, specific time, or nor is it uh, restricted by locality. Uh, that was his whole message to the woman at the well. Uh, there'll be a, a, a time where you won't be restricted to worship in just this one place. But worship can take place at any time. You can worship in your own home. You can worship in your own car. You can w worship as you walk to the bus station. You can w worship as you walk to your neighbor's house. So this is what Paul was trying to convey in this chapter. Well, our time has come to an end. Uh, we'll continue uh, our exposition of um, the Bible next time. So continue to pray for us. Um, continue to lift the Savior up and be ready to give each man a woman an answer or reason for the hope that lies within you. Make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. And we are so thankful for all of our new listeners again in Kansas and in Anchorage, Alaska, even in Accra, uh, Ghana, uh, Washington, uh, Lake Stevens, Washington, Quezon City, uh, Manila, Ada, Oklahoma, Seattle, Washington, and uh, those other places that we'll mention on the next episode. But remember to continue doing for the truth what so many people do for a lie. Because during times like these, Jesus needs to be lifted up, and we do need your support. And if you want to give, go to srministries.org.
And remember, God loves you, and you need to learn to love yourself. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister, Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.